Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You are listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's June 8th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. We may get Pete Sampson to pop in here during our recording today. But, uh, Tim, you were you were at the Kelly Cares golf outing uh, yesterday. You spoke to him about a variety of things, guys coming off injuries. Jarrett Patterson's name naturally came up uh, as to where he might end up. He admitted that center's his best position because that's where he has developed into Really, I thought at all American level before he was injured last year. Uh, just your thoughts on on some of the things that that Brian Kelly said in terms of Patterson, the O line, and of course Caden Madden, uh, the new addition to Notre Dame's offensive line. That's really why we focus so much on Patterson is because Caden Madden was the first topic. It's, it's the hot topic. He was added, and it was Eric Hansen of the South Bend Tribune asked, "Does this affect Jared Patterson?" Brian Kelly said, "Yes." Well, it is a guard coming in. Yeah. Affect him, of course. But I, I, I do think people are reading too much into the center comment because, of course, that's his best position. Sure. It, it's great that, that he said it for all of us, but, you know, that it's not just writers saying that. Of course, it's his best position. Um, but he prefaced all of that by saying it's what's best for Notre Dame. That should be it, honestly. It's what's best for the five, the five guys involved, and that probably means six guys involved because someone doesn't start. And it's what's best for Jarrett Patterson's future. Um, I know you got to take everything into account as a coach. I mean, 98% of it is what's best for Notre Dame, though, right? Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah, and what it comes down to is that, that center is Zeke Corral's best position, too. Or we we assume that at this point. He's, he's had trouble. It. Yeah, I mean, it's since the day that Zeke Corral walked into Notre Dame, he's had trouble holding weight. And so to, to bump him over to guard, I mean, you need you need some sheer size at guard, and and Corral doesn't have that. So, I mean, I understand the dilemma. We have questions in the second segment, of course, about the offensive right. line. I don't want to answer too much ahead of time here, but it's not a situation that's going to be solved on June seventh. I, I mean, it just it just no. can't be. It wasn't solved at the end of spring, and Kane Madden coming in doesn't solve it on June seventh or whatever date we're at. Certainly not. It was a June 7th golf outing that we had 15 minutes with Brian Kelly and Caden Madden happened to join. So Jarrett Patterson became the number one topic of conversation. Otherwise, it probably would have been the return to health of Kevin Austin or something along those lines. So they're no more certain, I think, now of Jarrett Patterson's position than they were before Caden Madden arrived. In fact, it's probably even cloudier, right? Well, you have a starter. So, yeah, I mean, you have it's cloudier in that you have a few more questions. And, and I know that there's the sense that we want solutions to every problem immediately. And this isn't one of them. I believe Pete Sampson has joined us. Pete, uh, your perspective on Brian Kelly's comments about Patterson, uh, Kane Madden and the offensive line. I, I think they have one more solution. You know, it's like you could look at it as they have more questions to sort out and that's right. But I think that they have a rock solid answer um, in Kane Madden to like one of the biggest questions, which was maybe just irregardless of Jared Patterson, right? Like you have a starter at right guard now. And that was, I think we would all agree 
that was the weakest of the five positions um, going into fall camp where you, you knew the least and felt the least comfortable. Now that becomes, I don't know, pr- probably your most solid position where you know who you've got, um, who's going to start, and that's his sort of one position to play. Yeah, no, no. Cloud, by cloudy, I meant cloudy for Jarrett Patterson. There are certainly more, there's another answer for Notre Dame, yeah. and that's good. That's a really good situation. Yeah, I mean, I thought Kelly's take on Patterson was interesting, where it's like, I got to think about what's good for the player. I got to think about what's good for the best five. I also got to think about what's good for like the team overall. Like, it is, there, there's a lot of masters to serve when it comes to Jarrett Patterson, I think. Right. And, and what's best for Jarrett Patterson is. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that he thinks offensive guard is best for him. I'm meaning Patterson himself. Right. Uh, you know, he's more experienced at center. Tackle is the premier position. I've never known. Well, look, I mean, for example, you know, we, we've talked about this. Quentin Nelson came in as offensive tackle, and he was pissed when he got moved to guard. I mean, that's just the way it is. The guard position, unless you're specifically built for it, like Kane Madden specifically is, it isn't something that you aspire to generally when you're an offensive lineman, the, the, the money's at left tackle and uh, you know, anybody with the, the stature to play that position wants to play it. Now, you know, I don't, I don't want to exclude Rocco Spindler from this equation. I, Brian Kelly said that there's nothing guaranteed for Kane Madden starting. I doubt that Kane Madden would walk in here thinking that, Oh, geez, I, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm going to start or not, but um, you know, Spindler's a good player and Spindler, I mean, he's going to be a better player in time. And Spindler's upside is way higher, I think, you know, long-term than, than Kane Madden's. And I think the concern with Madden, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is that just, just, you know, horizontally moving right to left, he's not a, he's not a great candidate to help lead your, your outside zone run game. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you all that, like 31 starts. No versus no starts. Um, no doubt, no doubt you about know, that. But, you know, what? one is a former walk-on at Marshall, and the other one was a national recruit that everybody wanted. So, yeah, it's a, I don't – I think Rocco Spindler will be a, a – could be a, a great college player, but he's, he was not – he was never going to be a great college player this year. Um, good college player would have been a hell of an achievement for Rocco Spindler as a yeah. true freshman. And, and if, and if he, if he does start at some point, I mean, improving, we, ex- we expect Rocco Spindler to get better each time he plays because he's that kind of player, but we have questions in the second segment about offensive line. So Tim, let's pop back to some of the injury uh, uh, issues that were addressed yesterday. Most of which I mean, Kyle Hamilton, Brendan Clark, Jacob Lacey, Paul Moala, very promising. Kevin Austin, still promising, but it sounded like there were a few disclaimers offered in there, which is natural because it's been very difficult to get Kevin Austin on the field and to get him to stay on the field. Yeah, I don't know if uh, people wanted to hear two to three weeks away, but once again, it's June 7th, and it's probably not the end of the world if he's two to three weeks away. Assuming he's two to three weeks away. Right. That's how you look at it. Cause Brian Kelly's yeah. not going to say, man, we're behind. That's never come out of his mouth with a, with a guy that's injured. The worst he says is someone had a few setbacks, but he's, he's back on track. I think if you go back 11 years, that's the worst you'll ever hear setbacks and back on track. So as long as Austin is out there when they're going at it in June, I don't think anybody should change their viewpoint of, uh, of, of what they thought originally this, this two to three weeks thing on June 7th should not alarm people. Um, but Pete and I talked about on the way out, it's, it's just an injury that reoccurs, although less so with the surgery. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if you gave Brian Kelly August one, 
He's going to be ready to go. You lose the entire summer. Brian Kelly be like, fine, I'll take it. Like, just ha- to have him 100% go on the first training camp at Culver, I think that's probably where Notre Dame's collective head is at with Austin. But yeah, it's, uh, I think now, now that they've done the graph, you know, I'm assuming that is, that means that they have, there's a screw in there or was a screw in there. Like, that's how you fix this injury. It does not, it's not a heal on its own injury. It needs help to heal. Um, they, he's gotten the help. So he will, he should be able to make it back. And I think that people should, um, everybody, media too, should take into consideration that it doesn't mean that, you know, that Kevin Austin is just sitting around doing nothing during this process. He's still in the rehab um you know, he's still in a rehab position. He can still get stronger in a lot of ways in the weight room. Uh, he's moving around. I mean, look, he was on the field at the end of the, didn't, didn't we see like in practice 14 of the spring, he was on the field moving around. So it, it's not like he's dormant during this whole thing. It's just, when do we cut him loose full go? And there's, if there's any question of that, you you just don't need to do that right now, but he's not dormant. He's getting ready. It's still all part of the process, the rehab process. Um, you know, and then hopefully, I mean, the thing you just have to hope for and that you're always concerned about is just setbacks along the way, because it's an injury that certainly is, can be rife with setbacks. I was going to say, I remember there was a, a video that Notre Dame put out of like, it was kind of one of those winter workout, hype video type things and they showed they were doing like sort of it was almost like weighted box jumps um where they would do sort of a deadlift and then but like with such an explosive movement they would end up on a box and austin was doing those next to bracy bracy was like jumping up on the box but austin would just like sort of do a traditional deadlift so it's not like the foot is and this was before spring practice started i think like so it's not like the foot is broken or like can't be moved like dormant like you said tim um you know he can he's been doing lower body strength it's not like he's unable to do anything i think the angst is he is two and a half months behind where he could be and that's just not going to go away and it's a thing of the past right but brian kelly referenced it yesterday brian kelly referenced it yesterday and we've noted the whole time and talked about it so when he brings it up it becomes relevant again it's just the way it is look if it was if surgery occurred on November 1st, Evan Austin would not be in two to three weeks away from training, right? No, it's true. From but it, happen- it happened, and there's – I mean, to keep, to keep going back right. to there's it. There's nothing it, you can do about it. Happened. it we, we, I mean, I think we all were in agreement at the time. We were all in agreement at the time that, you know, he should have the surgery. Well, that's easy for us to say. It's not our foot. It's not our careers. It's not the, you know, uh, millions of potentially millions of dollars online for a guy that does have NFL ability if he can ever, you know, get on the field and stay on the field. So anyway, um, we'll talk more about that. But uh, Caleb Evans uh, appears to be the the Tulsa cornerback appears to be getting closer to a decision. We think that it could happen fairly soon. uh, The decision that is Georgia has jumped in. Uh, some other people have jumped in and made it a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, Missouri, um, I know that I can understand how some people would react to hear the Missouri's in play, uh, but Missouri is is near and dear to them too. So uh, Texas also, Pete, I think you mentioned Texas was a, was a team that's in the running for a Caleb Evans. 
Yeah. I mean, Missouri is like his old corners coach from Tulsa is at Missouri now. And like, that's the credits so much of his development or the fact that he's even playing college football to him. So that's, that's the Missouri connection there. It's, it's been interesting to sort of hear conflicting information talking to, you know, sources at, at various schools, like, Notre Dame felt good about it. Missouri thought that he was going to Notre Dame. Texas thought he was going to Missouri. Um, it just is, it, I think it's been a little, people are a little gun shy on predicting where this is going to go. Um, I think for a grad transfer, I think a lot of these grad transfers have an idea of where they're going to go before they take any visits. And Caleb Evans, is, is, his re-recruitment has been a lot closer to, I think, what a high school kids would be, um, where it's just, everything is wide open and I want to go and be wind and dined a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't have a sense of like how serious Georgia is right now. Um, I wonder if that's just like a little tips in Vegas. Georgia just throws yeah. out the offers like tips in Vegas. Yeah. Come on over. <laughs> they they already, they already took a grad transfer corner. Yeah. They took <laughs> they from Clemson. Um, incredible. So yeah, it's a, I'm not sure it's going to end up, but you're right. It's it's got to be in the next few days because school starts this weekend. If you're Notre Dame, put yourself in a Caleb Evans shoes when you say you might want to be wine and dine and go through a recruiting process. He did not go through much of a recruiting process like Notre Dame's players did when he was choosing Tulsa. No, no, there's no doubt. The Notre Dame guys had a lot of fun four years ago going through the recruiting process compared to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, Kane, Kane Madden's perspective was just like, all right, two minutes, I'm done. This is ridiculous. Like, don't don't put me in this ridiculous Mike Norvell car. Um, and let's just move on with it. Like, I enjoyed Kelly making a reference to that yesterday. It was kind of kind of subtle, but I appreciate it. So, yeah. Uh, Notre Dame had Irish Invasion this past weekend. The media was not invited. I would recommend uh, our listeners to, to go to irishillustrate.com. Uh, Tom Loy has a bunch of information from the weekend regarding uh, Irish invasion upcoming upcoming week. I mean, the, the visits are going to be fast and furious, and we'll wrap up section one with this, or segment one right now, uh, you know, with some of the guys that are coming in town, Tobias Merriweather, Anthony Lucas, Jake Taylor, Dalen Hayden, Niuafe, Tui Alamaka, Benjamin Morrison, um, just some of the guys that Sonny Styles will be in this week as well. And then, uh, you know, then we get into Tyson Ford and Jalen Sneed and Darren Agu. There are some really good football players coming to town. Follow all that on irishillustrated.com. And we'll talk more about recruiting in uh, the state of the offensive line of the team moving forward as we head into segment two. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider burning up the board, starting with a question from Wash ND. With the addition of Kane Madden and the emergence of Blake Fisher in the spring as a more viable left tackle, are you now less concerned about the offensive line heading into fall camp? Do you think the line is essentially set at this point with Fisher at left tackle, Patterson left guard, Corral at center, Madden at right guard, and Lug at right tackle? Or could Corral or Lug's starting spot be in jeopardy if Patterson goes back to center? 
or out to right tackle to make up the best five. We got a lot to, lot yeah. to address there. You know, I, I I'd like to address Lug first because if we didn't watch Lug play guard and center last year, and he just filled in at tackle again like he did so capably and well, I guess in 2019. Nobody would be asking Josh Lug losing his starting position. He's a better tackle than he is a guard and a far better tackle than he is a center. With the weight off and in shape, I assume the back injury is not as much of a problem. I should never say that about a back injury, I suppose. But save for the back injury, Josh Lug not starting at right tackle doesn't make a lot of sense when you could easily just put Jarrett Patterson in for Zeke Carell if you really want to make a change and put Patterson in his best position. I, I It's a long question, but it's a short answer. I think yes. Like, I I would be pretty floored if the, that was a Notre Dame starting offensive line at Florida State. Yeah, you know, I mean, I again, I have to go back to I don't think there are solutions in, in the first week of June. I mean, essentially set. I, I guess essentially set. I and I would agree. I would I would say that that's likely if you it, you know I was doing the whole thing through the spring about you know guess the starting offensive line now right. and I, and that, that's what I would guess right now but you know you always have I mean you you know that you know that center is Patterson's best position right now could Corral play guard I don't think that that quite works um Tim isn't your second guess so let's say the one we're looking at right here is your first guess Fisher Patterson Corral Madden Lug the second guess is simply Spindler for Patterson and Patterson for Corral right Spindler at you mean at left guard Spindler at left guard and Patterson at center or Spindler, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know why it would be Carell taking over for Spindler at guard. That does not make sense. No, I, I feel like Carell is kind of a one-position player. Yeah, I agree. I think we are in agreement with that. Uh, he's just, I don't, he may not have been on yet when I mentioned it. I mean, you need size at guard, and Carell has had difficulty keeping size on since yep. the day he walked on campus, so that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, the thing is, you've got to, You've kind of got to, I mean, you do what's in the best interest of the team, of course, always, but you, you do have to, especially in, in this day and age, 2021, uh, you do have to serve Jared Patterson and what his yeah. needs are. And, and, um, you know, he'd like you to, have play to consider Jared Patterson, Jared Patterson's remaining eligibility. Do you consider that too? Yeah. You want because, Jared Patterson back at Notre Dame, don't you? Next right. Year. And if he plays left tackle, he might be inclined to stay a second year just so that he was advanced enough at the position to be right. drafted. At, so, yeah. there and, and so I, that's why I hesitate to say things are essentially set because I think there are still questions to be answered that, that will come up in the spring, in the, in the fall practice. And I don't know. You know, again, we looking for a, a, a definitive answer. You just can't always do it. Sometimes it just has to, you have to let it play itself out. And I think it still needs to play itself out in a little bit. Related next question from Kaiser Wilhelm was the Madden Gibbons trade off a net positive for Notre Dame. If the coaches had their way, would they rather have Gibbons or Madden on board? It's a, you know, I think it's a good question because on one hand, I mean, Madden's got a ton of college football playing experience and Gibbons has very little. On the other hand, Gibbons knows the system. It was obvious in the spring um, you know, that he was kind of a leader on the offensive line and knew what he was doing. Madden's coming into a system where terminology probably changes. So it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other from that standpoint. But Madden's an established football player. I don't think either one of them are very mobile laterally. 
you know, I, I just, I, they do not move well when they have to move horizontally, but I don't know. I mean, Madden's the experienced football player. Um, I think and probably the better football player right now. I mean, one was rated as like the top returning run blocker in the country, right? Like, I don't. I, I, I guess I don't feel like it's six of one half dozen of another. Like Madden has played a ton of football, even at a lower level, and has like he's a grown man. And you know, Gibbons has not played. You know, Gibbons has had injury issues throughout his career. So it's, I I think the coaches look at this as an upgrade. Not that they're going to come out and say it that way, but they. It, that's I don't know. I, I I I'm not saying Madden is going to be an All American at Notre Dame. Uh, but he was a he was a hell of a player at Marshall, and I, I think that he should be a really good player at Notre Dame too. He is uh, now. These ratings can be wrong, of course. People question Pro Football Focus's ratings, but Kane Man is the yeah. number two rated returning football player, offense, defense, or anywhere in the country. He was top twelve last year in the entire country. The other ten, or ten of the other eleven. Or in the NFL right now, but but I think that only takes into consideration what he does well, and it, and, no, and the game no, they, is I more mean, complex you, than that. They grade you know they grade you for I mean mistakes too. Like if you drop a pass, yep. like Tyron Williams didn't get a high run blocking grade, believe it or not, because of the ones he missed. Like it, it takes everything into account. The thing is, it doesn't take into account. I think you guys are referencing it previously. He didn't play Notre Dame schedule last year, right? Well, and and I mean. Have you seen one clip of him as a pulling guard out in space? Yeah, you know, I know. I'm just, so I'm can't. just saying that you're, we're not, we're not comparing him to the number. I'm not saying he's the number two returning player of the country. I am saying Dylan Gibbons was not one of the top 300 returning players in the country. So let's say Cade Madden's rankings a little off, and Cade Madden's the number 50 returning player in the country. That's a pretty good thing. No, that's fair. And Pete, you, I mean, the six one half dozen. That I, you're right. I mean, Madden's a more experienced football player. He's established. Uh, and if you ask me, do I think that they're better off with Madden and Gibbons? I would say, yes, I do. Memento 22, what do you make of wide receiver recruiting this cycle and the seeming decision by the Notre Dame staff to prioritize guys like Nicholas Anderson and other six foot two slot receivers over receivers like Bradshaw? Well, they're, they're, they're prioritizing Tobias Merriweather is who they're prioritizing <laughs> this weekend. Uh, they offered Nicholas Anderson a scholarship. Now, um, I'm similar to probably not as over the top as some of the reactions to the video I saw of, of Nicholas Anderson, but, uh, didn't blow me away. Didn't necessarily strike me as a surefire top 300 player and four-star prospect, but that's limited film and Notre Dame seen, I'm sure much more of him. Um, I find it really fascinating that, you know, because if, if Xavier Bradshaw was verbally committed to Notre Dame, how many how many people now would be saying the guy's unranked? Isn't he? You know, his offer list he has he's not even ranked. How can he be? And now everybody wants an unranked player in in Xavier Xavier uh, uh, Bradshaw, who I like, I do like, I get that. Um, and then they just offered uh, uh, the Canadian wide receiver. I, I want to say I.L. Manor is how you pronounce his last name. I'm waiting for uh, our Canadian connection, Kevin Sinclair, to give me the official <laughs> pronunciation. But, you know, look, it's all over the board, and it's not an ideal situation. I'm not saying the Notre Dame's killing it recruiting wide receivers. Um, Maureen Walker, I think, has some upside. C.J. Williams is in play. Merriweather's coming in uh, here in a couple of days. So. Um, 
you would like to see wide receiver recruiting further along. I've never seen every position as far along as, as we would want. And they have some ground to make up. It's um, I think it, it's a hard position to look at and feel like you have an understanding of how, like what the approach is or what the strategy is. It feels a, yeah. a little scattershot at it times. It is disjointed. Yes. Um, so I think that that's a, that's a fair critique. Um, you know, a, of these two guys, you know, if they got CJ Williams from California, I don't think anyone, this question wouldn't be asked. Um, but they, that's to me, that's more of the intrigue for where Notre Dame recruiting is going. Can they get somebody like him, you know, or can they get some, somebody like Tobias Merriweather as well? Um, cause it's, I mean, this was a year where there were two top hundred receivers in Chicago and they're going to Michigan and Ohio state. So it's been a difficult, um, difficult cycle that felt like it had a lot of promise, I think, when it started. And I think it's exacerbated by 2018 not working out yet, 2019 being a wash, 2020 losing your highest rated one, right? Yeah. We all yeah. like 2021, but now all you can think of when you see Styles, Thomas, and Colsey is 2018, 2019, and 2020's development. So if Styles and Colsey emerge in the next year and a half, people won't be as complain quite as much, but if yeah. they don't, they're going to complain a lot more and with good reason. Cause you can't have four washout classes in a row at wide receiver. Five. Well, 2017 was Michael Young. I mean, yeah. it'd be five washout classes in a row. I have two words for you with Tobias Merriweather. Catch radius is yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely huge. So hopefully things go well uh, with him. TDISU19 is Notre Dame in the market for any wide receivers in the transfer portal. I mean, this is how I feel about, safety over cornerback and such i i would rather throw what notre dame has out there at corner with the numbers than they are at safety and they're targeting a a, a not top tier they're talking targeting a top tier graduate transfer corner i would continue to tra- i would continue to target guys i mean i i would much rather have ben skoranek light on my team as a fifth year senior then rely on everybody to emerge that has to emerge this year for Notre Dame. And I know people just want to throw out the young talent, see how it, see what works out, but it hasn't worked out well recently when you do that. Can you, we're, we're counting on Lawrence Keyes and Brayden Lindsay. I think Lawrence Keyes can have a good year. I think Brayden Lindsay can have a good year. Neither one of them has ever been able to stay healthy and they didn't grow in, in stature. We're counting on Kevin Austin who hasn't played football since running the ball in an odd way with his hand in the, like in the Navy game when he was <laughs> playing against, San, you know, in, in San Diego, other than playing last year. And I mean, Pete made a point where he's like, on August 1st, if Kevin Austin's ready to roll, that's good. I think Kevin Austin needs an off season. Well, Don't I, you? I, I mean, like he didn't look great when he was out there last year, when he came back from injury, I think Kevin Austin needs time to be a, a polished wide receiver. I don't think you just go by talent out there. I think Notre Dame, because you don't have to bring in a guy that starts. The stunting the growth thing drives me crazy. If you can't beat out the guy that comes in, well, now you have options in life, right? Yeah, I. but I, I mean, I just don't think they're going to go in that direction now because there I are don't. five senior I receivers. Will, yeah, I, I mean, I. you say they're counting on, I think they're counting on, three emerging from five of Lindsay, Austin, Keys, Davis, and, and, and to a lesser extent, Wilkins, and then mixing in the younger guys. Uh, let me, let me just jump ahead and throw in a question 
and we'll continue this conversation from BL Casper and how much can we realistically rely on Kevin Austin this season? And, you know, I, if he's healthy, I think you can realistically rely on him, but we can't answer that question right now. Incidentally for our listeners, Pete Sampson has uh, had an appointment, so he's off. So it's O'Malley and me from this point, but I mean, I, I just think, I don't know, you know, if, if somebody said uh, that, Hey, Notre Dame's going to sign such and such grad transfer receiver, I'd say, well, okay. But if they don't do it, I understand where they're coming from because they have yeah. five seniors and they have some up and coming guys that they, that they, you know, they like and want to throw out there. So I don't really mean Freddie Canteen. I do mean Ben Skoranek, though, if that makes sure. sense. No, I know it's, right. hard to, it's hard to imagine Ben Skoranek because he came in January and he was became a program player in his one year there. He was he was like yeah, a great. developmental piece, even yeah. though they only developed him for one year. It was yeah, just no, he had great size and he caught the yeah. ball well. He was strong. And, yeah, so, I mean, it could happen. My I suspect at this point it won't because, again, I go back to when you have five seniors, not that you're concerned necessarily about disrupting the wide receiver room, but boy, it would it would definitely disrupt the wide receiver room if you brought somebody in now with five seniors in it. Yes, I just I think those five seniors had their. I would take a more of a what the approach Brian Kelly would like to take. Like if he was back in Cincinnati and not at every move was watched, I I would take the approach of you five seniors have had a lot of chances to play for me, and now I'm going to bring in a guy that might play for me. That's. But it's tougher. It, it is tougher. To, it's easier to say from where I'm standing than when Brian Kelly would be doing it. But I don't know. Develop more wide receivers over a five-year period than guys that transferred in. Yeah, and, and I get to- look, I get the criticism of the position coach and all that, and the recruiting. I, I get all that. They are in the situation that they're in. And I, at this stage, I think they'd be more inclined to bring in a grad transfer safety than they would yes. a wide receiver. Yeah, I, question, there. question from James Murphy. At Sporting News. Mock draft suggests Notre Dame will face three quarterbacks that will be first-round draft choices. USC's Keaton Slovis, North Carolina's Sam Howell, and Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter. Based on quarterback play alone, are the Irish facing a brutal October and the best of QBs the Irish has faced in the Brian Kelly era? I wouldn't say the latter. I mean, if you consider they were set to face Trevor Lawrence and your neighbor and my neighbor last year, that would be a more difficult task than what, what was showing up here in October. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've had Andrew Luck and Jameis Winston and Deshaun Watson on the schedules as well. Uh, you know, I get it though. That's a, uh, that's a nice stretch. That is uh, I mean, I don't like, I don't put Graham Mertz in the Keaton Slovis, Sam Howell range, but Graham Mertz has will be better. He'll yeah, be he'll better. better. He'll be a better player too. Um, the kid, of, uh, the kid of Virginia is at, I'm not thinking of his name right now, left-hander who's a run-pass threat who sparked them a little bit last year, too, and that game's on the road, so he could give them a spark. Yeah, and then, you know, after that, though, I think it tails off quite a bit, so that's why I'm not inclined. Uh, It's good having bad quarterbacks on your schedule, too, and it sounds – Brennan Armstrong, Tim, I couldn't couldn't pull it up either. Brennan Armstrong is the – Armstrong, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, (coughs) Yeah, I like Clovis and Howell, and that that midseason is a tough stretch. I just think – they're, it's not a world beater situation for me at quarterback, though. Do you agree? Uh, I I do, especially when you consider that you know Sam Howell lost his top two weapons. Yeah. Uh, you know Keaton Slovis is still an offense that has to prove it can run the football. And you cannot defend Trevor Lawrence. You you could not yeah. defend him. That is much worse than having to defend Keaton Slovis and Sam Howell. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. 
Donnelly, 34-34. Who makes the biggest positive contribution this season? Lindsey Keys, DJ Brown, Houston Griffith, or Ramon Henderson? I'm going to say, well, it's difficult to compare offense, defense. Um, I mean, I think DJ Brown's going to play a lot. Um, I think Houston Griffith's going to get opportunities to play a lot. Uh, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say Lawrence Keys. I think Lawrence Keys is going to um, is going to emerge this year. I think that's my default as well, um, which is odd because Keys and Davis play a slot position. You also have to beat out a second tight end. But Keys, I like Lawrence Keys three years ago. It's been a long road for Lawrence Keys to get on the field with his size and injuries. But I do think if, if I would place the bet on Lawrence Keys as well from that group, I and think I, Lindsay's my number two of that. No, group. I would and I would agree with that. And and I I think. I think Lawrence Keys is a he's a much different football player now. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. need him to be. But I think some of the things that he showed in the spring and some of the yeah, you know, I if you've seen some off season pictures of him, he is a much, much stronger looking football player than he ever was. And I and I think he's I think he's feeling it now and and the opportunity is there and I have a little bit of confidence uh, that he's the guy that's going to emerge. You know? And if he stays healthy, he will emerge. I, would you agree on that kind of? I, that's where he I is would. Now, now it'd be interesting to see how they balance, you know, him and Avery Davis. If you get, if they're on the field together, somebody has to move around. They're both small. That's why you need that bigger receiver. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But I, right now, I have a little bit of confidence building in what we saw from Keys in the spring. Right. Some of the things I've heard behind the scenes and and his preparation and confidence that he can he can step forward now etc question from sigils in search for a second starting safety the primary concern is who is consistent reliable enough to be on that field opposite kyle hamilton however if it's close between two or three candidates do you agree or disagree that the next deciding factor is who can play in a box thus freeing hamilton to ball hawk in his his final season yeah, I only disagree because the two candidates, the main candidates, can't play in the box, in my opinion. So I'm just going to deal in the real world of Houston Griffith and DJ Brown aren't going to be coming in and playing physical, dominant, playoff-level senior season football in the box. I just think it, they're looking for the more reliable player. Maybe Houston Griffith will be a playmaker with his athleticism. But uh, if Notre Dame brought in – that's why I keep saying if Notre Dame were to bring in a – a veteran starting safety from a different level. I think he could, I think he could win a job at Notre Dame this year. Then I would go with Sigils and the, and the thought of Hamilton roaming. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, I keep in mind, Marcus Freeman's a defense coordinator. He's not going to pigeonhole Kyle Hamilton into, into a singular role or a a role in which he does one thing a lot. And I mean, he led the team in tackles last year. So you also want him being aggressive against the run. You want enough confidence in your other safety that you can bring Kyle Hammond up to the line of scrimmage and make some plays. But we know that he's a condor back there uh, against the pass. So, uh, I mean, it's a legitimate question. I get it. But I think you're going to see a very, very multifaceted yeah. Kyle Hamilton this fall because Marcus Freeman is a multifaceted type defensive coordinator. Houston Griffith is maybe at the top of my list of someone that I have to see what the coaches see, because I still believe it's the power of positive thinking 
the way Brian Kelly talks about Houston Griffith. I agree with you, Tim. I mean, I just do. I, I don't, I have nothing against any individual player, but I, I, I how, we got, we've got to see a, a physical Houston Griffith before you believe that he's ready to, to contribute regularly. I bet they see a guy that has the athleticism to do it. He's played some football. As we pointed out a couple of times, he's played a lot of positions. <laughs> in football too. He probably knows that secondary. Well, I bet he grades so much better from film to field that he used to. And they look and say, gosh, this is our chance to have a good safety. Why not, you know, pump him up in terms of it's not like they're going crazy over the guy. They're just saying he had a really good spring. that made him a, a blue gold game captain. They talk very highly of him. I, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of times where the Notre Dame coaching staff is a little blown away with the athletic ability that Houston Griffith has. Remember last year in the preseason, about I put out a couple of stories about things we're hearing from the the practices. Yeah, one yeah. of the thing, one of the things I heard from a, a observer that, without any real knowledge of who was who, was who's number three? Damn, is he athletic? So, I mean, so, so, you know, and and I, and I know that the coaching staff feels that that's the case many times too, but in football, being a safety, you have got to come up and strike people and that that's got to be the component that he adds to his athleticism. But I get it because you can't teach the other stuff. So there it is. You can't teach teach that athletic either. Exactly. So I understand you got the long leash, the long uh, you know, you're, you're going to give him every opportunity to win the job because of the, the skills that, that he, he does have. Uh, we're going to conclude with uh, a little bit, of, a little bit of baseball, baseball. Uh, which I was in attendance to, there was a, you uh, were, you were there on Friday and I, I, um, you know, I, I said this to a couple people and, and, you know, when it comes to Notre Dame athletics, our, our job as journalists, that comes first. And, and so we, ha- we, we evaluate things objectively. And I do with Notre Dame baseball as well. I, I understand what their weaknesses are and where they could falter here moving forward. But when it comes to Notre Dame baseball, I feel like inside I can cheer a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> having, been a part, having been a part of the program a while back, uh, so I look at it a little bit differently. But um, Let's go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and ask that question? From Steve O'Matic, do you think Notre Dame will be able to retain Lake Jarrett for the long term? Do you foresee Notre Dame having and executing on a desire to expand and enhance Frank X Stadium in the effort to do so? I think the problem, okay, if you expand Frank X Stadium, it's only a 2,500-seat stadium. So let's say you invest, I mean, I don't know how much it takes to renovate a a college baseball stadium. A million, two million? I, I don't know. As soon as you do that, you have to do the same thing with Notre Dame softball because they've made the NCAA tournament a million years in a row. They've struggled advancing from there, but you would have to do that as well. And the problem then is you spend that kind of money and Link Jarrett, who is, it's my understanding that that Florida is very interested in hiring him because the Florida coach is going to replace Paul Maneri at LSU. Yeah. By the way, I love Paul Maneri, great guy, great human being, great coach. And uh, they found a way to win their regional late last night. And they are. I will tell you, if you want to hear anything about SEC baseball on my drive to Bridgman yesterday for Brian Kelly, I tuned in to uh, the first team with Danny Cannell and they brought on the SEC baseball expert. I did not know he was an SEC baseball expert. I thought he was a college baseball expert and I was waiting for the Notre Dame talk. And I had know everything about Florida and LSU right now, 30 minutes of Florida and LSU. I got the whole thing down pat. So you're right. 
There's, a, there, there's actually a theory that the reason Florida tanked so badly at the end was because they just knew their coach was leaving and they'd lost that edge. Well, I didn't realize that. I know that they were horrible on their home field. Yeah. They got a chance to host a regional. Notre Dame is still still upset that they're, they have to go to Mississippi State. Um, and, and, I, and Notre Dame outscored their three opponents this weekend, 50 to five. They, they just they put on an absolute clinic. They hit 15 home runs, and Nico Cavadas, who's from here locally, had five of them with 13 RBIs. Uh, it was an incredible display, but pitching and defense is what got Notre Dame to where they were heading into the tournament. So, Did you uh, pass on to link, Jarrett, my daughter's advice on the batting order? If you could just I, said, I did see that. and just I would, put it Nico was, at four and had a grand slam every time. I don't right. understand why he would bat six when he might have somebody out. There's... He, dro- he was dropped to six because he had struck out. So he was 0 for 7 right. with seven strikeouts in the ACC tournament. They dropped him. Link Jarrett dropped him to, to six, and he kept him there for the first two games. And then I was speculating with another reporter that, you know, maybe put him to at least move him up to five. Right. But Jarrett had the right idea because Carter Putz is a veter- veteran hitter. Yeah, he has him in the five hole now behind uh, where Cavadas always was. As long, their second baseman, uh, Jared Miller, was hurt, which is why um, Cavadas moved up to three in the first place. So that's probably more information than was asked for here. But will they be able to ta- retain Link Jarrett? I think it's real. I think it's really difficult. I, I think he's new enough at Notre Dame that he's not going to just leave after this. He is from Tallahassee. He played at Florida State. The opportunity at Florida would be uh, unique and unusual. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be difficult to keep Link Jarrett for an extended period of time. I don't think that Notre Dame is going to step out and spend the money uh, that that certainly SEC schools and some of the ACC schools would would do. Um, but he is. I am telling you, a phenomenal coach. I told him I wish that he had been at Notre Dame while I was still coaching high school baseball because I would have picked his brain clean, which I still kind of do now because I'm fascinated by his the depth of knowledge and the preparation of his his team. You know, most most guys say offense, defense, pitching. He's offense, defense, pitching, bunning, base running, and he he tries to emphasize all five the same, and that's why they're such a complete baseball team. They're good in basically everything that they do. You know, it's funny you said that, and this, this is the only time to be able to bring it up on this podcast, is uh, I was at a clinic, a youth clinic with Coach Wallace, Rich Wallace, assistant coach, Lake Jarrett's assistant coach, and he showed up and he's like kind of joking around, like obviously he knows just a little bit more than the rest of us at this clinic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he comes in late out of the Little League and he's like, you know, where, where should I go? And we kind of joked around, I bet you're probably better at coaching or teaching bunting than we are. And he's like, well, I just had to teach. I just had to teach Nico Cavadas to bunt today, so yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to convince him to bunt once in a while? So there's there's your uh, drilling down on everything Link Jarrett demands because he had to teach Nico to bunt. I did not see Nico Cavadas square around in the regional this this fact. He was six for ten with five homers and thirteen RBIs. Any this was the best part, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, his last at bat, he hit one to the warning track, and the Central Michigan players. I don't know that I've ever seen a college baseball team have as much fun as they do it, when winning right. and losing. They tend to keep things in perspective, which would have driven me crazy as their coach. But anyway, Cavadas is last at bat, hits one to the warning track, and the, the Central Michigan players are chanting, warning track power, warning track power, knowing, <laughs> knowing, 
going full. They, were, they loved it, but the fans were going nuts. Like they were chanting, right. "We got him!" It, it didn't the warning, didn't the guy at the warning track like celebrate with both? Yes, really yes, that. yes. Knowing full well that Cavadas just put on a Ruthian performance in the tournament, it was a lot of fun. We'll finish up. Last question from Chex Nola, then we'll tie in uh, Nordic baseball with Nordic football. Who lasts longer at Nordic, Marcus Freeman or Link Jarrett? That's a great question. If it's starting right now, I'd say Freeman. I would say Freeman since he hasn't coached a game yet, and Jarrett's that's what I mean. Yeah, that, two that, wins away from going to the College World Series. Yeah, you know, I think Notre Dame yeah. can beat. I do think they can go down and beat Mississippi State, but I'm but they are going to see much more velocity on the mound than they did this past weekend. I just saw Mississippi State close out their regional yesterday with a with their closer picking up his ninth save, throwing ninety seven, and they did not face ninety seven this past weekend, so it'll be difficult, but. We appreciate you uh, humoring uh, my baseball sensibilities here. And that is it for Irish Illustrated Insider. I believe we are going to skip a week, correct, Jack? We are going to, uh, unless unless there is reason to uh, to hop back on here, maybe we'll do start inserting some of our one, two, three uh, videos that we did during the pandemic last, last spring and summer. But that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider, and we appreciate you listening. 